And so I do think that once you quit growing as an individual, your business also quits growing. It just can't. Like your business can't explode and you just stay the same person. It just, it's impossible to happen. And so the two things will grow simultaneously and it's worth doing the work to grow as an individual so that your business is open to growth as well. You have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. Discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Brought to you by your host, Dorothy Ilson. Hey everyone, my name is Dorothy and I am so so excited to welcome you here to the Do Well and Do Good podcast. Now, before I introduce today's guest, I want to tell any new listeners about our free Facebook community. We are having so much fun inside of the group. I share tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. If you'd like to join us, head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you there. Now, today's guest is none other than Jennifer Allwood. Jennifer is a business coach whose passion is helping creative people to turn their talents and hobbies into lucrative online businesses. Jennifer has over half a million social media fans, and she coaches over 2,000 business owners monthly in her programs. She also has a podcast, The Jennifer Allwood Show, which is really designed to give creative entrepreneurs the help, the encouragement, the support that they need to succeed. See, creatives have really unique challenges that they face when it comes to becoming entrepreneurs and actually making money from their craft. And that is Jennifer's specialty. So if you are a creative, Definitely, this is the episode for you, and you're going to love everything Jennifer has to say. Now, Jennifer also is passionate about giving back. And one thing that I think is really cool is she talks a lot about helping individuals, which is something pretty unique that we haven't heard a lot on the show. And she also gives back through her support of Run to Stop It, an organization which helps to rescue and restore women and children from the sex trafficking industry. I know you're going to love my conversation with Jennifer. So without further ado, here it is. Jennifer, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm so excited to have you here. I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much for asking me. This is going to be fun. Awesome. Well, I would love to kick things off by hearing what you are most excited about in your life right now. Um, Wow. Well, Dorothy, our life has just taken some of the craziest twists and turns in the last six months. So um, we are in a brand new house as of six months ago. As of about four months ago, my husband um, was able to retire out of corporate America and stay home with me full-time to work on the business now. And so we're busy raising teenagers and um, decorating our home. I'm really super passionate about my house and decor and those sorts of things and just running the business every day. And so those those are the things that get me out of bed in the morning without any alarm clock and without any effort. I mean, if I didn't get paid for it, I would still coach women entrepreneurs every single day and I would still decorate my house and make it pretty regardless. So yeah, those are the things that get me all fired up. 
Amazing. I also just moved a few months ago, so I definitely understand where you're at. So moment of truth, do you still have moving boxes to unpack? Because we do. (laughs) Oh, no, thank goodness. But we're in Chicago, so we're moving from apartment to apartment. So probably a lot fewer moving boxes. Uh, We we had 14 years of boxes. We were in our last home for 14 years. So yep, I'm still buried under boxes in the basement, but we're, we're making progress. And that's the important thing. Awesome. Well, Jennifer, take us through your story. So I know that your coaching practice was originally inspired by a decorative painting business that you began in Kansas City. So could you tell us what you were doing before you made that leap into entrepreneurship? Sure. Absolutely. So I told you I've always been super passionate about homes and decorating. I actually bought my first house when I was 21, which is really bizarre because most people at that age, and you know, I'm I'm 47 at this point, so it's been a minute. But uh, most people at age 21 are, you know, still out at um, the dollar nights and, you know, things like that. And so I was trying to make a mortgage and I can remember just just loving a beautiful home. And so trying to decorate it and paint it on a shoestring and with without any money and going to garage sales and going to thrift stores. And I actually um, decided to go back to college in my mid-20s and I got a degree in computers because I never thought I could make any money in like the decorating world. It was um, such a lame reasoning now that I look back, but at the time it made sense in my brain. So um, got a degree in computer-based information systems um, when I was 30 and graduated top of my class and had a great job, but then I got laid off from that job. And I had been messing around, at that point we were in our second home, and I had been messing around with like painting on my own walls and like making you know columns look like marble and making a wall in my house look like brick. And I was fascinated with how to make something ugly, gorgeous. And so found that there were some schools nearby in the Kansas City area where we live that I could go and learn how to do this for a living. I found out people actually like do this for a job and they get paid for it. And so since I was laid off from my computer job, I thought, well, let me just see if I like, you know, could get a couple jobs doing some painting for people. And that just went bonkers. Like it just, when I look back now, I'm like, I was so dumb and brave at the same time. <laughs> you know how like sometimes you just don't know any better? And so I literally went door to door, Dorothy. I was looking up interior designers in the Kansas City area in the yellow pages, which you're probably way too young to remember, and going door to door with my portfolio, asking them if I could, you know, meet some of their clients. And and that just went over so well. And so we were working in million dollar houses 17 years ago, right off the bat. And then we got a call from ABC's Home Makeover. Do you happen to remember Ty Pennington and that show Extreme Makeover? Okay, I do. Yeah, so we did three episodes of ABC's Extreme Home Makeover. That was great fun. I've had clients fly me to Belize to look at their homes. It has been a really good run. And I found out about five years ago that one of the reasons my business in Kansas City was doing so well, at that point I had eight women painting for me every single day, was because I was really rocking my social media. I loved Facebook. And I loved Pinterest, Instagram, and Twitter. I was a little harder to get on board with. but And so I figured out that we didn't have to be the best painters. We just had to be able to market like we were the best painters. And as long as I could get our business in front of a lot of people, we stayed booked up all the time. There were so many more talented people than us, but I did a good job of using social media to explode our business. And so people were taking note of that. They were taking note of 100,000 fans on Facebook and 200,000 fans on Facebook. And business owners started coming to me and saying, what in the heck are you doing? How are you growing your social media? And you know, would you teach me? And I was like, would I teach you? Well, I've never thought about teaching. I, make, I consider myself a you know, small business owner and a decorative painter, but not a teacher. 
And so like four years ago, I decided, okay, you know what? I will teach business owners how to do what I'm doing on social media. Because at the end of the day, social media is the very best free form of marketing that we have as a business owner. And so that was four years ago. And now I'm coaching over 2,000 business owners in paid groups every single month on how to grow their business using social media and still decorating my house because I still love it. But we closed down our painting business um, last year and there's no looking back. It was way more words than what you probably wanted, wasn't it? <laughs> no, that was that was amazing. And you said you said so many incredible things in there. But one thing you mentioned is there's this refrain that you hear sometimes in the business world that the best product wins. But really, that's not true. That's not it at all. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter how good your product is, if no one knows about it, then... That's exactly what I tell the people I'm coaching. You can have the greatest product on the planet or the greatest service or the greatest whatever. But if nobody knows about it, then it's crickets. And it's funny because I have this really what I think is a great ability to see really talented people on social media. I deal a lot with other creatives. So other artists, jewelry makers, painters, cookie makers, writers, that sort of thing. And so I'll be going through Pinterest and I can remember like seeing different women thinking, oh my gosh, this girl is so talented at painting. How does she not have a bigger following than she does? Like nobody knows about her and she is ridiculous ridiculously talented. And and so it is so imperative in today's world that you don't have to be the best. You just have to market the best. And if you can figure out how to get your business in front of, now I have over a half a million social media followers, the assumption is you must be really good to have that kind of a following, even though that's not accurate. But everybody wants to kind of link arms with things that are already looking successful you know, once you get that snowball going of starting to get a lot of social media fans, other people will see your page come up in their feed and they'll be like, whoa, she already has, you know, 50,000 or 250,000 fans. Like, this must be really good. And so it just makes the building of it even easier at that point. I could not agree with you more. And I think that this really hits the nail on the head in terms of the big challenge that creative people face in running a business, that the skills that make you so good at your craft are completely different from the skills that you need in order to actually build a business and be a marketer at the end of the day. So could you talk a little bit about that? What are the challenges that creatives face in running a business? Sure. Yeah, because I talk with creatives all day long. And so I think that one thing people really fail to realize is that in today's world, social media is a lot like having your own store. You just have it on the internet. And I like to give this example, which I think is super helpful. But um, And so I'll give that to you in just a second. But I think that we forget that social media is A, supposed to be social, and that B, people buy from people they know, like, and trust. So if everything across the board is equal and you, let's say, make children's clothing, and you know, there's 20 other children's clothing stores on Facebook, and you all have relatively the same pricing. I mean, people will always buy from the one that they know, like, and trust. But what happens with most business owners, Dorothy, is they want to like hide behind their Facebook page, and they want to hide behind their business, and they would rather just show the product all day long than ever let anybody know who actually made the product, who actually stayed up all night boxing up the product to get it shipped out, who actually designed the product, who was actually you know, making it with their own hands because that feels way more vulnerable. And once creatives or any business owners for that matter, will start developing that no like and trust factor with their audience, they will see their sales skyrocket. And here's the example that I'd love to give. I used to spend a lot of time with my grandparents when they were alive and when I was little. And we grew up in a really tiny town in Iowa. And there were two grocery stores in the town. And this is way back in the 70s, okay? 
But so there was two grocery stores. Well, the way we figured out where we were getting groceries was not, you know, who had the best coupons or who lived closest or, you know, which house, uh, where grandma was closest to. The way we decided where grandma was going to get groceries was which business owner did grandma like? And, or which business owner did grandma not like? We would go to the opposite store. You know what I mean? Social media is the exact same today. People try to overcomplicate things so much. But when all things are equal and you're selling the same thing as hundreds and sometimes thousands of other people on social media, if people don't know who you are and if you're hiding behind your brand, then you're really missing out on the opportunity to build relationship with people on social media. Because then if you're working on building relationship, when you do have something for sale, people will always end up buying from you. And so I have built a seven-figure business literally off building relationship with people first and then selling them something on social media. Did you always have entrepreneurial ambitions? And the, the reason I... So that's, that's so interesting because I think for, for people who, you know, might be artists or, you know, you know, these creative people who want to make money from their craft, but they don't see themselves as business people or as entrepreneurs. Like, how did you get into that mindset? How did you make that sort of mental shift to be able to do that? Yeah. Well, for me, I saw, you know, a decade ago that when the social media was really starting to roll out and I was seeing that people were, you know, really being successful and growing their business by leaps and bounds. For some reason, it just made sense to me. Like I was already on Facebook playing anyway. And when I saw some people doing a really good job, like really spending time in their Facebook community and, and, and um, talking back to people and it not just being all about sales, like it totally made sense in my head. And so even though I never really considered myself a business person or an entrepreneur, I was good with people. And I was good at seeing kind of what people were doing online. And so then I was like, well, if this thing here, you know, this person in the health industry is starting to do a webinar teaching people, you know, how to lose weight or whatever, like, why can't I do a webinar and teach people how to make money at painting furniture? And so I did. That was my first webinar. Had no idea, Dorothy, what I was doing. But I think that what has been one of my secret sauces is that I have not been afraid to fail. And so many times I've been like, I do not know what the heck I am doing, but I'm willing to go ahead and just give it a shot. And if I make a mess of it, very few things on the side of heaven are permanent. So we'll figure it out and we'll fix it. But I'm going to go ahead and go for it. I remember the first webinar I did, this was probably four or five years ago, and it was how to uh, make money at painting furniture. And I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll have a hundred people sign up. Like that would be so cool. It was $47. And it was just like a two and a half hour training in the evening. And I thought I would be thrilled if I get 200, right? So I can remember when I opened up the cart for sale online, and I didn't even know what words like that even meant. And I, I think so many times as creative people, like we have a gift, but we don't know how to physically package that in a way that people can buy it. So I had to hire somebody to make the website. I had to hire somebody to, you know, figure out how to make the payment processing thing work. And this is not stuff creative people were ever designed to know how to do. And so I think the challenge in answer to your question is that some people, if they're creatives and they're like, well, I just really don't understand business. No, you might understand parts of the business and there's other parts of it, maybe like the tech piece of it that are jamming you up. You're like, well, I'd really like to offer a course to somebody to teach them how to do art, but I don't know how to do it. Well, honey, your brain wasn't designed to be that way. Like the way God created the creative mind was to be able to look at something that's ugly and make it beautiful or to be able to take, to make something out of nothing or to be able to, you know, look at your room and figure out how to change around the furniture. Like 
you are designed to be creative and not to know how to do all those techie pieces. So that's when you need to hire, hire, hire people to help you. Because what most creative people will do is they'll be like, I am going to get this website done. I'm going to figure out how to build my own website. Six months later, they're still up, you know, drinking Rooster Boost at three o'clock in the morning, trying to get their website out on the internet. And in the meantime, all of your competitors have already blazed past you because you've been jacking around for six months trying to figure out how to make something you were never designed to do. And so I hired somebody to make the website for that webinar. I hired somebody to help me like figure out how to take payments because I didn't know how to do any of that. And I had over 400 people, Dorothy, sign up for that thing at $47 a month. And this was years ago. And I just sat and cried because I remember thinking, I have been busting my butt out in people's houses with eight ladies in each house working for me during the day. And I just made, you know, you can do the math, over 400 people at $47 a month for two hours of my time on a Thursday night. I mean, this is ridiculously easy. And I think that's when I got addicted to the online space for businesses right there. And so most creative people, they get hung up because they don't feel like business people. Well, the truth is you probably have parts of the business, but you just need to hire for help in the areas that you're weak and quit feeling like embarrassed and ashamed about it. One of my secret sauces is hiring for the spots in my business that I know that I'm weakest in and just focusing on the things I'm good at. There was so much value in I know. I'm just blabbing. I'm just blabbing like we're all friends, but I'm totally (laughs) hogging the conversation. No, I am (laughs) loving it. This is amazing. I hope any artists, creative people out there are taking notes. So you talked a lot about outsourcing and that's something that is absolutely critical. But I would imagine for a lot of creatives, the problem is, well, how do I hire when I don't have a business yet? You know, I'm not making money from whatever it is that they do. So for an artist who's in that position, what would be the first step that you would recommend that they take to either acquire the basic skills that they need or figure out how to make more money from their craft so that they can outsource those things? Okay, so I have a great resource and I'm wishing that I had it up here on the screen with me because I would give it to your people on how to go from being like a hobbyist to a business owner. And I will get that resource for your listeners. It's totally free. They can download that. But it's basically just, um, it talks about the things that you need to do from going from hobby to business. So you need to name your business, number one. Um, Because when you don't name it, it doesn't really exist. So then when you are talking to people at a, Um, Thanksgiving. And they're like, so what are you doing now? And instead of, well, I'm kind of selling, you know, earrings that I make. No, I just started a business. It's called Jennifer's Jewelry or whatever. And here's where you can find it on Facebook. And so number one is you name the thing. Number two, you actually get it up on the internet so that people can start finding it. So the majority of the time, the argument is, well, algorithms on Facebook and nobody sees anything. And if I just put it on my personal page, then at least all my friends and family will see it. Well, I think we need to really mature into the notion that most of your clients are not going to be your friends and family. If you are trying to just stick to selling to your friends and family, you are going to on purpose stay small in your business. So get a legit Facebook business page and so that you act like a legit business. And then you need to go through all the things that your state requires. You need a tax ID number. I mean, I do think, Dorothy, sometimes people wonder, why they are not making any money at their business, but they haven't even set their business up as a business yet. And, you know, the Bible talks about doing first things first and all things in order. And so 
I mean, one of the first things that you're supposed to do is if you're making any sort of money off of a business, our government does require that we pay taxes. I mean, it's just, you know, the world that we live in. And so getting legit with the states so that they know that you're a business and figuring out the whole LLC or S-Corp thing, all of that is so important. And that isn't a free starter pack that I would love to give your people if that's okay with you. I'll find that link for you. Absolutely. Anyone who wants to find that, check the show notes. Uh, When this episode comes out, we will absolutely have that there. Thank you. I, I totally was unprepared for that. So I didn't come with the link. And so I think that sometimes that's the first thing that business owners need to do is they really start to need need to start setting themselves up as a business and then figuring out where are their clients, their potential clients at and go there. So are you selling something or providing a service that the young 30-somethings are interested in? Well, then be on Instagram, like go there. If you, you know, your crowd is the 40 plus, be all over Facebook. If you're selling things that teenagers are interested in and, you know, you're talking about uh, having... ACT training or things like then go to Snapchat. I mean, figure out where your clients are and figure out how to get good about getting your business in front of them. And so I think sometimes, you know, we'll start having a little money as business owners come in and it kind of trickles in and it kind of trickles in. And the truth is a lot of us are super, well, it feels vulnerable to start running a business. Do you know what I mean? Like, Because when you start putting stuff on Facebook, you know, you're starting with zero followers and that feels crappy. I mean, who doesn't feel crappy about that? And, you know, this, sometimes I think we're so wrapped up in, gosh, it's, I'm going to feel and look so foolish starting this small as a business that that will almost make us either not start at all or go ahead and start. But we're not starting like coming out of the gate running. We're starting with hesitancy. And, you know, we put something for sale on Facebook and we don't get a a whole lot of, you know, response to it. So then it's two weeks before we put anything up again. You know what I'm saying? And I know for me, I, we had gotten to where we were really dependent on my income in the painting industry, but I didn't want to keep working out in people's houses. I wanted to be able to teach other creative people how to make money online. And that was one of the determining factors for me to get past my fear and actually like try to be more of a legit business and try to be selling online is I didn't want our family to starve. (laughs) And I really, it's really seriously important to me to set a really good example for my children. And I've got three kids that are watching mom every day and I needed to show them uh, what it looks like to do big, hard and scary things and not just talk to them about being brave, but actually demonstrate bravery in front of them. And so that for me has always been a motivating factor in my business. Amazing. Jennifer, what would you say is the biggest misconception that creative people have about achieving financial success? Oh, the starving artist lie. Oh my gosh, I hate that so much that creative people, you know, that that you will not make a great income if you're going to do something in the creative space. And that is just an absolute, it's just BS. And so... I think that sometimes people have money issues. And I think all of us, if we're really honest, have money issues. And I think that sometimes we uncover an issue and we work through that one. And then lo and behold, a little further down the road, we uncover another one. And as an example, you know, we were just talking about how I had that webinar that I launched to 400 people. And what I didn't tell you about that story, but I'll tell you now is that So, you know, I was secretly hoping, I was like, I'll be thrilled if I get 100 people to sign up. And if 200 people sign up, like, man, I hit the jackpot. And I can remember the week that I had that open, seeing it go to 100 people signed up and then 200. And then it hit 300 and I started just freaking out, Dorothy. And when it hit 400, I bawled. 
And I didn't bawl out of joy. I bawled out of, holy crap, what have I done? I don't know what the, what the heck to do with 400 people on a phone call. Like I was so freaked out. There was something in my mind that felt okay with 100 or 200, 300 people, but that I felt unworthy of 400. And I think that that even happens in our bank accounts, that some of us feel okay struggling, but we feel weird and guilty when we start making money. And we forget that money is just a tool. And so many of us have been taught that um, money in and of itself is bad, and, which is not a biblical concept. The love of money, the obsession with money, that's the danger. But money in and of itself is just a tool. And the more money we make, the more money that we can give. The more money we make, the more people we can bless. Um, the more money we make, the more options we have. And so I think that often creatives, sometimes it will feel more comfortable to stay struggling than to walk in the power that they absolutely have to generate very healthy incomes in the creative space. What advice would you give to someone who's looking to turn around this struggling artist mentality or re- rewrite any negative thought patterns around money? Yeah. Okay. So I would completely suggest you talk to someone way smarter than I, because it be, usually it takes a little bit to unpack that, Dorothy. And uh, so I have my own podcast, The Jennifer Allwood Show, and I had a friend of mine who's a therapist on the show with me quite a while ago. Her name's Dr. Madden Singh. And so her and I were talking about money issues and money blocks. And I was like, eh, I don't think I have any. And she's like, okay, well, let's dig a little deeper. I bet you do. <laughs> and so, you know, her and I started talking and um, she was asking me about, you know, well, what memories do you have? Or, you know, how did your family frame money growing up? And I told her that a couple of ways money shows, those sorts of things show up in my business today is number one, I can remember we didn't do without. We had enough money, but my parents paid bills every Sunday and it was always a time of tension. And I remember just thinking to myself as a little kid, okay, avoid mom and dad on Sundays when it's bill paying time. So therefore, I kind of grew up, you know, with the thinking of money automatically brings tension into a marriage. You know, so that's something I've had to unpack. Also, I can remember growing up knowing people and being close to people who were being audited and that how that was just a complete like, really stressful time in their life and me, you know, knowing them and and being family and thinking to myself, oh gosh, I do everything you possibly can to avoid anything that has to do with auditing IRS, that sort of thing. And of course I still feel that way now, but it, you know, those sorts of things, they play tricks on our mind and they make us make decisions that aren't always healthy Mm -hmm. and right ones, but more so like decisions to stay out of trouble or decisions to avoid a topic at all costs. And so at different points in my business, when it has grown, I have, you know, run into different roadblocks and a lot of times it has to do with money. And so every time I feel myself kind of hitting up against the same mountain and I'm hitting up against the same thing and, and I feel like I'm just not getting through this for some reason, there have been times when it was, I wasn't making enough. And then there were, have been times where, oh crap, now I'm making enough and I don't know what to do with it. Or I feel guilty about it or, you know, those, or will I lose it? And I've gone and talked to a counselor every single time because somebody that is a therapist or a counselor, they can just reframe things, I think, in a way for us to help like us kind of work through our own crap. And I always come out healthier on the other side of those conversations. So that's probably not a real popular response on your podcast. Go see a therapist. But my final answer is go talk to somebody. I mean, if you've got money issues, it is so worth getting to the root of those so that you can yank that weed up and get it out of your business so that you can keep moving forward. And a lot of business owners will like, they'll find themselves just kind of stuck on things and they feel like, 
well, it's embarrassing to go talk to somebody or it's a sign of weakness if you need to go talk to a counselor. And I would just like to reframe that whole thing. It is a sign of power that you're willing to do the hard work mentally that is required to go to the next level as a business owner. And at every level in your business, you will have a new challenge and new things that come up. And so I do think that once you quit growing as an individual, your business also quits growing. Mm-hmm. It just can't. Like your business can't explode and you just stay the same person. It just, it's impossible to happen. And so the two things will grow simultaneously and it's worth doing the work to grow as an individual so that your business is open to growth as well. I couldn't agree more. I'm such a huge proponent of coaching, of therapy, of finding mentors. (laughs) Yeah. But I think that what's important to to point out to people as well is that there are coaches for absolutely anything you possibly need help with. And so if you recognize that money and limiting beliefs, negative thought patterns around money is specifically a challenge that you have, then just finding a general therapist might not be the right answer, you know, find a money coach. A money coach. Out there. Absolutely. There are, you are absolutely right. And, and you may go through a couple finding the right one, or you might start with one and find out that's not exactly what you need. But the, the whole intention is moving forward to change your mind. Because once you change your mind, you can change your life. Jennifer, you mentioned one thing that the more you make, the more money that you have, the more you can do to give. And I know that's something that's very important to you. So when you first recognize your drive to make a difference and find greater purpose through giving back? So I have been someone who, um, you know, I regularly go to church. My husband and I are Christians. We are a firm believer in tithing. So we, um, I mean, that has been a part of our life for nearly 20 years. And so we've always tithed to our local church. Just, I mean, it's biblical and I have always tithed and given 10% of our income um, there. But, you know, the Bible also talks about giving on top of that to causes and things that are important to you. And so Jason and I, we give to organizations, but we really love to give to individuals. And I think we're, you and I are going to talk about an organization that's near and dear to our heart, but we love doing things like uh, blessing people that are in a specific need of something, of filling that need. And the more money we make, the more opportunity we have to do that. Because it's really difficult to cover somebody else's grocery bill when you can barely pay for your own groceries. Do you know what I'm saying? And so we've always tithed regardless of where we were at. But the giving piece of it on top of the tithe has just been much easier now that we have more flexibility in our income. And it brings us a lot of joy. Like just, it really does bring us a lot of personal joy just to be able to cover other people's expenses or help other people who are in need. And so, so yeah, I don't know that there was a time, was that your question, that we actually started doing that? But it's just something that both of us just um, really get a lot of personal joy out of doing. Yeah. And I love that you brought up taking those actions to help individuals because I think that even regardless of how much money you have, there are always opportunities to help people. Even something as simple as if you're leaving the coffee shop, you know, grabbing an extra muffin and giving it to, you know, a homeless person who might not have something to eat. You know, there are little things that we can do that can really brighten someone's day. Or, you know, if you have the means to do it, covering someone's grocery bills, you know, help people with needs like that. It's powerful. It's such a fine line between like boasting. So hopefully your listeners will hear my heart, but we've just done things like I've had Facebook followers before who, you know, I can remember one time having a cute outfit 
that I was in a picture on Facebook and, and somebody just said, oh, that's such a cute outfit since having a baby. All of our funds are tied up and I haven't been able to go buy any summer clothes lately. And so I got on the phone with my sister. I'm like, send that girl a Target gift card immediately. Like find out who she is. And, and just because like my heart was burdened for that, I'm like, Lord, I can't go to bed at night with a closet full of shorts. And this young lady that I don't even know and maybe never talk to again, it didn't feel right to me that I can go to bed with, you know, we'll stack of clothes needing to go to the Goodwill and, and a pile of them that probably don't even fit me anymore. And this girl was just vulnerable enough on social media. It didn't feel like manipulation at all. It just felt like she was just commenting. And I was like, you know what? That doesn't sit okay with me. I want her to have new shorts. So we've done that. I've gotten messages before from people who, you know, my light bill's close to being turned off. And we pray about those requests as they come in. And um, I'm so honored that we're in a place where we've been able to take care of a few of those situations for people and help people with driving needs and transportation needs. And I mean, we take those on, you know, just as an as I see them and feel prompted by the Lord basis. But it just feels really good to know that there's times in people's life. And I can remember, I think one of the reasons, Dorothy, is because I can remember being dead broke. That's the bottom line. I can remember what it's like with my husband losing his job the week before Christmas and us having two little tiny boys and you know, not getting a severance package. I remember what that feels like to rack up 30 grand on a credit card and hope that it was still going to go through at the grocery store. I don't know that I've ever publicly, by the way, announced or said any of that, but I can remember that. And so then when, when I see things come across, you know, through email from people who follow me or just I just want to be really sensitive to just touching somebody's life because it actually has nothing to do with the shorts. It actually has nothing to do with the power and light bill. It actually has everything to do with, I want them to know that they're seen. I see you. I see your struggle. Now you're going to make me cry. What the heck? I'm on your podcast and I'm going (laughs) to cry. But I just think that when we get to a place where we have a little more income, we can do things like that. And that's the kind of stuff that I hope changes lives. It has nothing to do with the shorts. It has nothing to do with the light bill. I just want people to feel at the end of the day loved and like somebody notices their needs and that somebody can fill them. And you never know what someone's going through. Never. I mean, the woman who just wanted some new clothes, I mean, you don't know what someone's journey looks like or what that simple action of, you know, sending her a Target gift card, what that could mean to her and what she'll then do to turn around and, and pay it forward, you know, after someone's done something so kind for her. And so that's the kind of thing that people will never forget. And if we just go through life recognizing that everyone is fighting a battle that we can't see, it really helps you to just approach the world with a lot more kindness and much Passion. more. Like, yes. Exactly. Exactly. So in addition to the incredible things that you do just on an individual level, I know that there uh, is one organization that you are especially passionate about. Could you share with us what that is? Absolutely. And I would not even know about this organization if it wasn't for an organization that my church um, really gets behind. But we live in Kansas City, Missouri, in the, you know, the middle of the country, in the middle of the Bible Belt, and sex trafficking is a huge issue everywhere. And you, you know, I think we'd like to think, oh, not in a place like Kansas City. Oh no, in a place just like Kansas City. And so our pastors have brought in a couple of people that work for an organization called Run to Stop It. And they put together things like 5Ks to financially support uh, organizations getting women and children out of sex trafficking and then helping to heal them because most of them are obviously incredibly wounded by the process and get them back to a normal life. And so our church is real passionate about supporting um, sex trafficking efforts. And so we do that. So we support Run to Stop It. There's another company called Exodus Cry. On a personal level, uh, we also 
Um, there's another organization called A21 that Christine Kane runs, which is helping people get out of sex trafficking all over the world because it's not just a problem in the United States. It's tragic and it's everywhere. And so, um, yeah, we're real passionate about helping with that organization in the terms of some years we run the 5K when I'm feeling less fluffy than what I do today, Dorothy, <laughs> and in a little better shape. Um, we always um, donate, but sometimes we also, you know, actually run in the 5K with t-shirts here in Kansas City. It's a very large race in town with thousands and thousands of runners. And so there's real bright t-shirts that say run to stop it, which will often just start the conversation. You know, once you know about um, something like sex trafficking, then you can no longer pretend you didn't know. And it just kind of makes you look at things differently and things you hear on the news differently and situations with children differently. And um, we have two teenage boys and a 10-year-old little girl. And I just cannot imagine you know, some of the situations that different families have to go to where one of their kiddos somehow ends up um, in a sex trafficking situation. It's just heartbreaking. It's just, it's disgusting and it's heartbreaking and it, and it shouldn't be. And so, yeah, the, the Run to Stop It is the organization that is close to our heart that we like to support. It's so true that most people have no concept of the scale of this problem and the fact that it really is happening right there in our backyards. And so I absolutely love that you are you know, sharing this with the listeners and, and helping to bring it to light because it's something that really is impacting people's lives here in this country to a, a way larger degree than, than most people ever comprehend. So thank you for that. Yeah, it's a hard issue to look at. Yeah. You know, and so sometimes it's easier to not want to hear the stories on the news or see what's in the paper or, you know, read the article online because it's hard to admit it's going on. It's hard to face the reality of, and it could be our family. I mean, it's, you know, and so, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a yucky issue, but one that we really need as a country um, and as a world to really address. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for everything that you've shared with us today. We are running out of time, so I'd love to move into the impact round. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions, and I'd like for you to respond with the first answer that pops into your head. Ready? Okay, cool. Yes, I'm ready. All right. So who has been the most impactful person in your journey to do well and achieve financial success? Ooh, okay. Oh, do I have to pick one person for that one? You can give two. I do well. Well, okay, you know what? I'll, I'll say my kiddos. I'll say my kiddos. And um, there's three of them. I mean, obviously my husband as well, but um, you know, I want to make sure that we don't starve to death and that does have a tendency <laughs> to help me get out of the mor- uh, bed in the morning and get my feet on the ground and get to doing business. Awesome. Who has been the most impactful person in feeding your drive to do good and make an impact on others? Mm, that would definitely, um, that would definitely be God. That would definitely be Jesus. I'm a, I'm a believer. And so it's um, knowing that we're called to be good and we're called to do good. And that's enough for me. When you're having a bad day or you find yourself in a negative headspace, what do you do to pull yourself out of that? Oh, that's good. Okay. So usually if I'm in a funk, it's because I'm all focusing on me and poor me, my feelings, (laughs) my this and my that. And so honestly, if I can turn the focus off of me and remember that, oh my gosh, there are so many people that have it way worse than me. I mean, these are you know, hashtag first world problems I've got going on over here. The basement's flooding. I mean, at least I have a house. You know what I'm saying? And so to, to kind of spin the funk often is most helpful for me, but to also just get the focus off of myself. Remember that there's people who are in far worse situations and to try to kind of keep things in perspective. And I, you know, people have bad days. The key is not having let those days all string together and turning into bad weeks and turning into bad months and turning into bad lives. That's, that's the key. 
What book do you find yourself recommending to people most often? Uh, Okay, so this is a book by Stephen Furtig called Crash the Chatterbox. Have you ever heard of it? No. Okay, so Stephen Furtig is a pastor. The book is not um, pastory or churchy at all. He talks from the perspective of being one of the youngest pastors in the United States. He's in his 30s. And the chatterbox is that voice in all of our heads. Um, he's called it the chatterbox that says things to us like, who do you think you are when you're trying to start a business? Who, you know, why would anybody buy from you? What are you trying to do? Your family's always been poor. Who do you think you are that now you're trying to do good? You know, that sort of that thing that all of us kind of hear at the Chatterbox. And so perhaps the Chatterbox, that book changed my life. And it's a book I recommend to anybody that I'm coaching because I think we all struggle with, you know, we're our own worst critics and that voice in our head, we all struggle with that, you know, a feeling lesser than and the imposter syndrome. And that book does a great job of addressing where that's from. What is one thing on your bucket list? Oh, I would love to go to Hawaii. And we were supposed to go to Hawaii um, this summer for a vacation with the family. Um, We actually were able to retire my husband from corporate America in the spring. And we've never been able to vacation for longer than a week at a time because of his corporate America job. But now that he doesn't have that, we wanted to go to Hawaii this summer. But then Hawaii was having the volcano. And so it still stays on my bucket list until we get that sticker checked off. So now we're hoping for next year. But yeah, that's that's one of my bucket lists, vacation to Hawaii. Love it. I'm sure you'll make it happen. So then lastly, Jennifer, what is the best piece of advice that you would give to our listeners and specifically our listeners who are creatives? Mm, oh, that's so good. Okay, best piece of advice that I would give your listeners. Does it have to be a catchy little saying or can it just be overall? Not at all. Overall, it's Okay. Hmm. I am going to think about this one. So I have this thing that's up in my office, this sign that says she believes she could, so she did. And um, I've had it framed for years and years and years. And I think that that just, um, whether it's business or whether it's running a 5K or whether it's losing 20 pounds or whatever, I think having some sort of a belief that things are possible is such a huge um, thing, both in life and in business. Like, And that's what hope is, really. I mean, I think that part of the reason that I've been successful in business is because there were times when I was like, I don't know, I don't know, Dorothy, if I'm going to be able to do this or not. But yet this one little smidgen part of me thought, I think I can do this. I totally. Think. And so I think that sometimes, even if you had just that little tiny smidgen that believes that you can, whatever it is about life, business, buying a house, whatever, I think you just need to start with that one little belief of believing that you can and just really like clinging to that sucker for dear life. And so I think that that's the first step towards achieving anything is having just this little inkling that, you know what, I think I can do this. And I think that is so valuable in owning and running a business because things are going to come up every single day to discourage you, knock the wind out of your sails. The world's going to tell you there's too many people already doing what you're doing, especially to my creative friends. People are going to tell you you're not that talented. You've never done this before. And so just having that small belief, you know what? I believe that this is possible. Seeing that it's been possible for other people will really help you believe that it could be possible for you too. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. Amazing. Well, Jennifer, as you know, here on the show, we have what I like to call the do well and do good challenge. So this is where we encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by our guests. So I know that you've chosen to nominate Run to Stop It. Uh, Could you share just a couple parting words about that organization and why it's so meaningful to you? 
Yeah, absolutely. So Run to Stop It just does, it does such an amazing job of um, helping to pull women out of um, and children, women and children, both out of the sex trafficking industry, but then help them to heal because there's so much that happens um, when someone is trafficked and that's just um, soul breaking, quite honestly. And so their goal is to restore uh, women and children back to wholeness to, you know, to put them back out in the world and, and then to also make sure that before women and children even get to that point, that sex traffickers are exposed and that rings are, you know, brought to life and that law enforcement is involved. And so they're just doing such an amazing job. They're literally feet on the ground, um, helping to save lives in the sex trafficking industry. So absolutely um, love what they're doing. And thank goodness for people like them that are willing to do that kind of work, because I know my heart couldn't handle it. Absolutely. Well, we will definitely link to that in the show notes. And Jennifer, I know that you have an incredible podcast, The Jennifer Allwood Show. You're also a coach for creatives. So before we say goodbye, where can our listeners go to find your podcast, to learn more about your coaching and follow your content? Awesome. Well, if people are listening to your podcast right now, when we're done, they can just hit the search bar on iTunes and look for the Jennifer Allwood Show. Really easy to find. So that's great. Um, You can go to jenniferallwood.com and Allwood is spelled A-L-L-W-O-O-D. So you can find me really easy there. My inner circle reopens at the end of September. It's for any business owners, but we focus mostly with creatives who are looking to grow their social media online. So that is opening up at the end of, well, in the fall. It's September the 24th, I believe. I don't have a calendar in front of me. But um, so yeah, the getting into my inner circle um, is a great place to start if you're really looking to explode your business in the online space. So thank you so much for asking. Yes. Well, thank you for being on the show. It has been such a pleasure to have you. Thanks, girl. Well, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off for my chat with Jennifer, if you are a creative and you're interested in her inner circle, head over to the show notes where we are posting a link that you can go to to find more information and sign up. Now, for any new listeners, I also want to introduce you to the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. There are two ways you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, then you can contribute to Run to Stop It or any of the nonprofits nominated by our guests and then send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co. Your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having in making the world a better place. The second way you can participate is by voting. See, inside of our free Facebook community, we host a vote at the end of every month to determine which of the nonprofits nominated that I will actually donate 10% of my after-tax income to on behalf of the podcast. So it's an amazing way to make your voice heard. You do not need to donate in order to vote. So head over to the group at dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook. In that group, you'll also find a link to my calendar where we can schedule a time to chat one-on-one. I would love to hear your goals, your ambitions, and figure out how I can make this show more valuable for you. So I'll see you inside the group. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to tune in next week.